This episode of the Backside Ground Balls podcast is presented by The Performance Academy. For all of your athletic training needs, train with purpose at The Performance Academy. TPA houses a number of training resources from private baseball and softball instruction to team sports performance classes. Utilize advanced technologies like output sports, hit tracks, and TrackMan to take your game to the next level. On top of our elite staff and advanced technological capabilities, be a part of the TPA family and take advantage of the many resources our facility has to offer. Want to go to a game? How about a concert? How about going to see classical music? Whatever you're into, there's only one place to get your tickets. Thankfully, we are partnered with SeatGeek, the essential resource for live events. For any of your ticket needs, make sure you go over to SeatGeek.com and use the code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. Again, that is SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. For all of your clothing needs, athleisure, the sickest baseball gear you can get. We're talking hoodies, shorts, sweatpants, sunglasses, hats, any baseball style you can imagine. Routine Baseball has it, and we are now partnered with them. All you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball. That's a mouthful, so I'm going to say it again. It's routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have you will receive 10 percent off your order today one more time routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10 percent off your order today powered by riverside Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati. We have a super fun episode today. We have Liam Bowen, the head coach at University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Coach Bowen is entering his 13th season at UMBC and his fifth season as the head coach. Coach Bowen, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Of course, of course, and and we appreciate you taking the time to do this. We know the spring season's extremely busy for you, and you're getting ready uh, to go into team practice here over the next couple of weeks. But that's where my first question will start at. What's the outlook for the 2024 season? Are you excited to get back on the field? I know you guys have a little bit more time before the opening series. You have 30 days till you head out to Santa Clara, California. But are you, is there a serious level of excitement? I know this time of year, I'm sure you're getting antsy to get going. Definitely. And I think it's a first and foremost a credit to our players. We return uh, the number of quality players from a team that finished second in our league last year. And I thought even though we had some inconsistencies, particularly midweek last year overall, it was a step forward for us in a solid season. So bringing those guys back helps. Uh, the additions that we've been able to make also help. Uh, we one transfer and then a bunch of high school players that we think have really good futures here. And I think that's really a credit to the assistant coaches. Uh, coach Disher, our recruiting coordinator, uh, and Coach Costello, our pitching coach, did a really good job uh, 
with that class, and they've given us that boost that you're looking for when you bring that new blood into the program. But mostly, particularly having the guys back for individuals now, uh, mostly the uh, just the way the guys have returned and the way they've taken care of themselves and worked on uh, their games over uh, the winter and uh, the late individual period in the fall, I think that day-to-day work is what makes this time of year exciting when guys do a good job there you kind of earn the right to be excited in January and and that's where we are and that's a fun place to be and we're really enjoying uh, the group so yeah definitely uh, excited to get going to California but mostly just excited about these guys and what we get to do with them every day. Yeah, and that that's awesome. And I I always used to say that the spring season was made in the winter time, right? We could spend a ton of time in the fall in development, but if guys go home and they don't take care of their business and don't take that, you know, kind of individual mentality and motivate themselves to get better, all of those strides you could make in the fall are gone. And guys that maybe had struggled in the fall and then took care of business in the winter, can come back in the spring, and they put themselves in a really good position to be successful come springtime. So obviously you mentioned that and being able to kind of be excited about this group, which like you mentioned, you seem to be pretty excited about a team that was second place in the uh, the American East. I played in the Atlantic East E3 conference, so I always get those two tripped up. So I apologize for that little stumble there. But is that kind of the outlook you're looking forward to this year is taking that next step in the conference and, and trying to to be second trying to get that top spot oh of course and it'll be challenging as always I think every team in our league is always really well prepared always really well coached talented players and that's what makes it fun it makes you know I think it's always been kind of back and forth in our conference and you never really know what's going to happen going into any given weekend but for us when I became the head coach it was pretty much immediately COVID and, and that became, uh, you know, something different than we expected, obviously. And it was, uh, it, it came at a time for us where we were young and we had to lay some groundwork for times like now where we were able to be a little bit older, be a little bit more veteran and where we can talk to our guys about winning a championship and what that demands of us and what that obligates us to do. So yeah, like, like we're, we're going to be chasing championships, we hope, every every year from here on out, and that's always the goal. We're not – one of the great things about college sports is, you know, you don't tank for draft picks. Like, there's no rebuilding years. You always have seniors. You always have guys that's their last time on the field and in the uniform, and you got to do it right by them. So that's what we plan to do this year. That's what we plan to do going forward. I know everybody else in the conference is going to do the same, and we'll have the whole spring to settle it. So, yeah, I mean, that's 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 what – you talk about being excited that that's a big part of it. So, you know, you talk about having to lay the groundwork, um, you know, you come in and <laughs> taken over and then immediately getting hit with COVID, I'm sure was an obstacle that you had to kind of navigate. That was obviously something you couldn't, you know, expect to happen. Um, but you talk about laying the groundwork. What are some of the challenges when you're, when you're trying to do that, when you, when you take over and you have to reset a culture and you have to try and build something up to get to the point where you're at now, where you're talking about being able to contend for conference championships every year? Yeah, it's a good question. And obviously, not that we all want to go back to COVID even mentally, but uh, for me, even though I'd been the assistant coach here for eight years, I'd been the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator. I think anytime you have a new head coach, whether they come internally or externally, 
that coach is going to put their imprint on the program. And I think with us, it was a matter of getting guys to orient themselves towards, number one, the values that I'm really passionate about, which is being selfless and being reliable and getting guys to start to kind of understand that that was going to be our mantra. And then also finding people, uh, recruits and uh, assistant coaches and staff that valued the same things. And just getting to a point where we felt like with our group, like like we could just um, be so sure that 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 we were you know on the same end of the rope that um, and and we were going to be able to create the continuity that we needed that we could develop them because I, I really feel like at a at a mid major like us like that's the that's kind of the secret sauce is continuity having a stable environment every year where you're. You know, you, you retain your coaches, you know, so so the like the, the system remains the same. Your freshmen get a little bit better as sophomores, your sophomores get a little bit better as juniors. And we needed to create that from the ground up. I think when I was an assistant here, we had some good years. We won conference championships. We set some school records and stuff. And I'm super proud of those teams and those guys. But it was a little bit more um, pieced together. And I wanted to make it something that was had a stronger foundation that, that we could sustain for longer, um, if that makes sense, uh, Dan. Because t- to me, we won the conference championship and we weren't able to, to sustain it because we weren't built to sustain it. And, and we want to be built for sustained success like anybody else would. So that we kind of had to really get down into the roots of it during that time. And I think it's starting to pay off. Absolutely. And you want to build that consistency, right, that you're talking about where, like you said, you know, there can be a one off year and that's great. But, you know, then what comes next? Right. And then where do you go from that point? And I think the goal for every program is to continue to build. You said you use the word continuity, I think, at the mid-major level. And I couldn't agree more where having guys be returners, having the same coaching staff in there all the time where it can start to then gel and you guys can kind of start to form an identity of, well, this is UMBC baseball. What does it take to create that buy-in then when you take over, you know, obviously you have to go through COVID and you probably lose a whole fall. You lose a whole season. You might've lost the next fall. What does it take to create that belief and that buy-in within the locker room? Is that something that just has to kind of happen from being consistent as a coaching staff? Is that something that also takes, you know, player led buy-in? What goes into that? Well, it's a lot of things. It's a good question. And it, it, I'll try and make the answer as short as I can because you can go in a lot of different directions with that. I think the thing for us that we have hit on more recently that really helps us is really tailoring individual development and really uh, trying to create an environment where we can really impact guys with coaching. So what I mean by that is keeping a small roster. We had 29 players at the very beginning of the fall last year. And we tried to pour everything into those 29 guys. And when you have that smaller roster, your coaches can impact each one of those guys more. If you have 45, 50, 55 guys on a, on a fall roster, that impact is too spread out. And I think that really helped us. Um, it helped us with the chemistry too, because everybody felt like they were important, right? So uh, we were able to uh, get some buy-in there. And I think the other thing that has to happen is – the program has to be constantly improving and the players have to feel that. So that means that every year there's got to be good players coming in the door, right? When the, when the first, when the recruits show up on campus and fall practice starts, the older guys have to say, Hey, wait a second. You know, we've, you know, we've, we've improved ourselves here. You know, we, our, our roster keeps getting better. 
the way we operate has to keep getting better in terms of, uh, you know, the, the way we practice day to day, the the way we travel, the way we eat on the road, all like we're always trying to you know, constantly find ways to level up in the program. And when guys see that and guys know that they're important, then I think the buy-in is going to be a natural byproduct. So those are the areas where we focus. And I think we've gotten some return. You mentioned a couple of times that you, or you said that you could go a ton of different ways. And I think as your answer, it was like, I wanted to go in a ton of different ways, but really the accumulation of where I wanted to go from here is the transition of changing things. Right. And you were somebody who was in the program. So you were involved and I always find it fascinating of the transition to a new head coach and, you know, Again, I'm sure there's love for everybody who's in the program, but sometimes there's weeding out a different culture and establishing your own culture because it's your identity. It's what you want it to be. It's the core values that you want to get out of it. What kind of went into those steps of I'm sure there were some highs and there were some lows through the process. But again, you keep talking about how you're starting to feel like you've laid the foundation and the groundwork of what you're hoping UMB baseball UMBC baseball to become and obviously being able to put it in a position to perennially win conference championships, not just kind of those accumulation of multiple years and having a ton of senior led uh, older guys. Yeah, I, I guess the, um, the, the easiest way that I can put it is I felt like my job at the beginning was to give guys a clear vision as to what was going on. And I tried to communicate it the absolute best I could. And that's always been how I was with, you know, when I was just coaching the pitchers, I tried to be that way with the pitching staff. Then when it expanded to the whole team, uh, you know, obviously I tried to take the same kind of communication style and I'm a, I'm a planner guys. Like I'm a guy, you know, I'm writing everything down. I'm trying to chart things out and I'm trying to make sure that I do the work on the front end so that I can be clear uh, and con- concise and deliver a good message to our team. So I tried to communicate right right out of the shoot. Hey, look, guys, this is what it, this is how we're going to operate going forward. This is what's important to me. This is the vision for for where we're going to go, and this is how we're going to get there. The same thing we do on an individual or like a position group basis with our guys is try and you know see where the guy and make a good appraisal of where the guys are. You know, try and articulate a vision to them and talk about how we're going to chase it. And uh, I think, you know, during that, I, I certainly like, ev- like every first time head coach, I made plenty of mistakes. Um, I tried to be the pitching coach and the head coach at the same time. It was the worst decision I ever made. I did, what, once I stopped doing that, we started getting a lot better and the, the pitchers got coached better because I couldn't do both those jobs uh, the way I wanted to. So Certainly, I don't want to. I don't want to get on here and tell you guys, oh man, from day one it was it was running smooth. It was not, and and I needed to get better and grow in some ways. There's no question, but I do think that we always profited from that clarity, and just by telling guys, look, this is, you know, this is my my vision for this place. You can agree or disagree with it, or how we're going to go about it. But at UMBC. Right now, I have the privilege of being the head coach, so what I say goes. And if if this isn't the place for you, then uh, we can help you find some place that's a better fit. But we're not going to tailor what we do to one particular player or a group of players. You know, we're going to find people that fit what we do and go from there. 
how important did you find it? Uh, you know, I, I don't have much background on understanding what the perception might have been of the program before you took over, but how important did you find it of kind of trying to set a perception also out in the public and, you know, in the recruiting landscape of this is how we want the program to be perceived and kind of what plays into setting that standard as well? Because when you go out there to recruit, unfortunately, people sometimes have preconceived notions of what something might be. How important is it then for you as the head coach to, you know, have a conversation with your assistants and stuff like that of like, hey, when we go out recruiting, we need to like, I, this is how I want our program to be run. This is how the perception, the perception I would like our program to have. How important is it to try and kind of also generate that a little bit to then build, gain the momentum to continue to build in the right direction? Sure. And I think every mid-major faces that, right? You know, because the there are always going to be programs that are higher resource than you have bigger brands than you. And we all understand that I was running into that Dan, even when I was a recruiting coordinator, especially when I was a recruiting coordinator and I started at UMBC and you know, the, the program was a, we were in a big rebuilding situation at that point. I think it's more than fair to say. So that's uh that's something that's always been a part of really my entire time coaching because I've never coached at a power five conference. Uh, and, and, and honestly don't have any plans to. But I guess what I would say, Dan, is I'm not as worried about the perception uh, that other people have in like the, the high school baseball space or the travel baseball space when it comes to the quality of our program. I, 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 I am um, concerned with how we care for the people we interact with. I think we got to do right by them. You know, you got to got to call the coaches back. You got to treat the recruits the right way. You got to treat their families the right way. Those are really important to me. And then I I think that that perception always bends towards success. And if you're able to do the business on the field and win ball games, uh, then you'll be perceived in a, in a better light. And I think you have to embrace that as a, as a coach and as a program, you have to say, well, instead of spending time on, well, we want people to think this about us. Well, just treat them the right way and go out and win the games. And, Eventually, people usually come around, and that's what we want to be judged on, right? We want to be judged on how we play, how we represent the university, and then how we treat people more than anything. So we've kind of put our focus on that, kept it you know, pretty locked in. I love that, and that that's such a good message to to kind of translate not only to recruits and families of recruits and really a lesson I think a lot of coaches could hear too, but also your players, right? And being able to, you know, I always think the toughest thing about setting a culture is just getting 29 guys that you can trust when they walk away from your park that they're going to do the right things. And, you know, I always used to call it do the more difficult right thing, right? It's kind of a tongue full there, but when the decision needs to be made, are you going to do the right thing? Like nobody wants to go out in the rain and, you know, I use it in a restaurant example and take the person their curbside to go order. Um, but it's the right thing to do in that moment is to go out and walk through the rain and, and get that done. So how has that instilled into your culture of now we're recruiting guys with that message being a, a part of it. And now they're entering our program and we're continuing to emphasize that and making sure we're representing our baseball program the right way inside and outside of the organization. It, it, it's a it's a, a great question and, and something that we spend a lot of time on. I guess the way we articulate it is probably a little bit different, Trevor, in that I talk about it through the lens of everybody in the program has to value the opportunity to be here, to work here, to play here, whatever their role is, at a really high level because I value it at a really high level, 
right? If I'm the person who decides what our personnel is going to be when it comes to staff and players and what makes me comfortable with somebody, because I can coach people of different personalities or, um, you know, backgrounds or, or, or whatever, but they all have to value the chance to represent UMBC really highly. Because to me, this is a dream come true. I'm getting to coach baseball at the Division One level in my home state for an awesome university, surrounded by an awesome group of people. We play in a great conference. I could go on and on. If it's something for a player or a staff member that's, you know, okay, and they like it, but it, it's it's not something that they really cherish, then no matter, like our personalities could be a tight fit, but we're still going to come into conflict because when, when you work with somebody, you have to have um, the same level of respect for the work that you're doing, I feel like. And that's the way I try and talk about it with guys, because if they value being here, if they, they wake up every day and say, holy cow, I get to... I get to play D1 baseball for UMBC and we got a chance to be really good and we got some good people here that I want to do right by, then they're going to make those good decisions, right? If, if it's something that they could lose and it wouldn't be a, a lot of skin off their back, then I think you open the door for some uh, less good decisions. So uh, that's kind of the, the frame I like to use with it. As long as they're really valuing the opportunity here, then usually we're in a good place. That's a phenomenal way to describe that. And I think it's such a unique perspective on it. But, you know, being able to value the experience really kind of sets the foundation for what you're hoping to accomplish both on the field and off the field, because they're going to want to represent the program the right way. And I guess you've kind of mentioned it a couple of times and kind of hit on it in passing. But I'm always curious about head coaches speaking about the core values of their program. It seems like we've probably hit in passing each and every one of them, I heard you mention selfless, reliability, um, and obviously valuing the opportunity to be a part of the program. Are we kind of hitting the nail on the head that those are the ones, and what are they exactly if if we missed any in particular? No, that's it. I tell the guys all the time, if you put the team first, if you're selfless, and you can be counted on to do your job every day, if you're reliable, you don't need a third thing. Like I've never seen anybody who can check those boxes Fail. When I say fail, I mean fail to deliver value for the people around them, right? I don't mean, you know, I've seen people who are great human beings go over for four or, you know, give up a crooked number or whatever, but I've never seen character fail. And that's the approach I take with these guys is I think we're all obligated to be valuable to the people around us, no matter what we're doing. It can be your family, it can be a job, it can be your baseball team you know, whatever situation you find yourself in. And I just think people who have those qualities are really valuable. And so we try and instill them. It's really simple. Like I, I'm, I'm not really trying to trick anybody with it, uh, but I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm going to be 40 next month guys. And I've just, I've never seen anybody. We've, we've never had a, a really, really selfless and really, really reliable person in our organization, not be awesome for us in some form or fashion, whether they're a, a great player or a role player or, or whatever, they've always been able to leave their mark here. And that's what we're all trying to do. I love that because, you know, if so many people have the the acronyms that spell out words for them and they can hit you with all the buzzwords that, you know, with selfless and toughness and whatever on and on and on and on. But I think that like the, having those core values and having the acronym is great. But if you don't live it and you don't act on it, even if you say it every day, even if you mention it every day, but you're not acting on it, 
what does it matter? Those core values mean nothing, right? You have to actually be in, in your program. You have to be selfless and you have to be reliable. What are some, like, how do you build those characteristics within the locker room then of, of, you know, showing guys, Hey, this is how we're going to act. Like, it's great that we sit here and talk about it, but we actually need to live these things out in order to get to where we're going. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I've, I've never been good at the acronym thing guys. And that's what, that's why we only have two in my memories, you know, not, not so good as, as good as some other coaches, I guess. But uh, you know, if, if you just have the couple, I think they're, they're pretty easy to lock in on. I'm a big believer in like our destiny is going to be created by how we act, right? Not what we feel, not what we're capable of, not what we think might should happen. It's just going to be about how we behave. And so what we try and do, and what I'm always pushing our assistants to do, is try and really explain, okay, these are the behaviors that that fit our values. This is when we're in our character, and these are the behaviors that don't, right? So my classic one, the players all know this, is hit by pitches. Like, if you can say, you know, the guys in the locker room, they're my brothers, or I'll do anything for this team or whatever. And if you've got 91 coming at your ribs and you hollow out, then you won't because you're not behaving in those ways. Like your actions are a lot louder than your words. We all learned that in elementary school. So our guys, if they want to stay in the lineup, we teach them to to, to do it, to do it in a way that tries to minimize injury. I'm not trying to get anybody killed. And if it's it's at their head, they can duck. I'm not like a a caveman about it. But to me, we need to send nine guys up to the plate that care enough about the other guys that they're willing to to take it in in the back or in the the hamstring or wherever it hits them. And, And that's just part of it. And, I think once guys understand and make that connection between the things that they say are important to them and the behaviors that are aligned with it, then it becomes self-reinforcing. That's that's when you got something cooking, when the guys start to reinforce it with each other. Because if it's only important to me, we're not going to be very good. Uh, I think we all understand that. And then so kind of to tie all of this stuff together, whether it's the core values or we were talking a little bit about the perception and, and kind of to, to live that way and create value for the people around you. How important is it to you then to lead by example? Because, you know, I think so many times you, there's just a million different ways to run a program, right? And Trevor and I are lucky enough now to get to have these conversations and learn how people, everybody goes about it a little bit. And kind of one of the consistent themes themes to me, it seems like is like, how important then is it for you to set the temperature in the room and you to be the one who you're doing the stuff and, and going the extra mile to be selfless. And you're the one who's, you know, trying to create value for the guys, even in the little stuff, you know, it's not always, especially for a head coach about actually coaching the players, right? Like I, you just talked a little bit about how, when you tried to be the pitching coach, it didn't go well, right? Like you needed to just be the head coach. So then how important is it for you to then live out those things every day and you be the one to lead by example? Oh, I have to do it. If, 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 again, if, if I say something and then my actions aren't aligned with it, then it's just talk. It's just, I'm, it's jaw exercise, right? Yeah, it's nothing more than that. So I'll let other people be the judge of that. I, I will say this is where your staff becomes important and having the right people around you because none of us is self-made. And none of us is, is at our best in a vacuum. And we all have to be around people that reinforce the right habits. I think it's, it's the old thing, right? That you're the, the product of the five people you spend the most time with. Uh, so in what we do, you spend a lot of time with the coaching staff. And I'm really fortunate here that we have people we've got, I mentioned Coach Disher and Coach Costello. We have Coach McGowan who came on this year. 
uh, all the people at UMBC, the, the, you know, our trainer, Megan Sullivan is a, is an ace, Rob Nelson, our strength coach. Uh, we have a new academic advisor has been great. Meg Bossy, all those people that show up with the right spirit, show up with the, uh, the right priorities to, again, to, like you said, deliver value for the players. So it's almost like I can't not follow through on, on what I'm saying because the people around me do such a good job of, of not just holding me accountable, but setting their own example. And I think, again, it's a self-reinforcing thing when you're doing it right. So I make an effort to, to, to do what I say, no question, uh, but having good people here makes it a lot easier. Yeah, and every coach, head coach, will tell you that they're the byproduct of success is a lot of times tied to the people that are support staff from the top to the bottom, right? Whether it be assistants, whether it be academic advising, if everybody's in lockstep and in unison in the goals of the program and on the same page, a lot of times that translates to the success and then obviously the on the field part of it. You know, you mentioned earlier, Dan brought it up again, that, you know, trying to be the pitching coach and the head coach put you in a tough spot and a tough situation. So how important from a player development side is it to make sure that on top of having the right people that are going to be selfless and reliable and make sure that they live that out each and every day that they're a part of this program, how important is it to have people that you can trust as somebody who had spent plenty of years as a pitching coach to be able to say, hey, you know what? You're in charge of that because I got CEO and head coach things to do today, and I can't get out there on individual work because we got to get this done before we get going uh, with full team practice. How important is it hiring the right people from the player development side as well? I needed you in 2020, Trevor. You needed to give me that pep talk when I was thinking I could coach the pitchers and, and, and run the show, man. Like, I, I found it out. And it's not that I didn't know it was important. I just – and I, I feel so silly for saying this because I, even when I became the head coach, I knew that every first-time head coach said says this as, as it's like their classic mistake. And I still made it anyway, uh, which is, is is not not great baseball. But the uh, just the the planning function of trying to get the everything aligned, whether it's the way that we operate in between the lines, outside the lines, the stuff that you do with the administration, the stuff you're doing with alumni, the things you're doing to fundraise and build the program. The if you're trying to also coach a position group and I know there are guys that do it and do it really well at a high level. So I'm not saying this is right for everybody, but I, for me, I couldn't, I, I thought I was a pretty decent pitching coach when I could give the guys my full attention. And what I, I had to look myself in the mirror and say, look, you're just not a very good pitching coach right now. You know, you're, you're trying to be a good head coach, but you're just not very good for the pitchers right now. You're not delivering the value that you used to, uh, which was hard because I took a lot of pride in it. And I think letting go of that and um, saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to put that on somebody else's plate and I'm going to be a resource for them and try and make my role more about making them a great coach rather than delivering value directly to the pitchers, which I still do from time to time, but um, it's not my main role. I think that was just liberating And it's not a, I mean, yeah, it was COVID and we were young and stuff like that, but it's also not a, not a, um, uh, it's it's not a secret. It's you know I do think it's correlated that we started to win more games when, when I um, stopped making that mistake and started to put more trust uh, in our assistants. So yeah, I mean it's it, it, it it's vital because those are the guys that that are with the, each position group every day. They're the guys who are with them in early work. They're the guys who 
hopefully when when our players look back on their career and, and they can look back on some really good achievements, they can say, hey, Coach Costello really helped me, you know, at 11 a.m. in an early work bullpen. They helped me with my changeup or whatever the case may be. It's not going to be – I'm going to be kind of one seat removed from that, and I had to get okay with that for us to get – kind of start to get going. And uh, I did it late, but better late than never, I hope. I mean, and and better late than never is probably the best. I mean, absolutely. I think that's the best way to put it because if, if you keep beating your head against that same wall, it might not have uh, ended up going well. But you've mentioned you mentioned uh, earlier as well how you guys kind of go about it in an individualized way, which then mm-hmm. that's even more on your plate when you're trying to put guys into different buckets. But I'd kind of like to discuss that a little bit because I think the landscape of baseball right now specifically is just so unique in the sense that there's so much information and every guy is, I feel like players are so much smarter on how to get better themselves. So kind of walk me through a little bit how you as the leader of the staff go about, you know, planning the individualized development for the guys while also being able to create a team identity, because that's what that's to me is the line where it gets a little bit tricky is, you know, I love facilities. There's so many facilities out there. There's so many that do unbelievable work, but at the end of the day, you're still trying to win baseball games. So you got to get get by get guys better individually, but then you also have to have them come together as a team. How do you guys kind of go about, you know, making that distinction and, and setting that up? Good question. So a couple of different ways. One thing, and I'll kind of take it going backwards, start, you know, talk about the team aspect and then move towards how we individualize things. I think each individual guy, you have to have a vision for their role, how they're going to again, create value for the team and how they're going to contribute to winning, right? So we're always trying to develop guys, not just towards a number that describes a physical capability or some abstract part of their game. Like, hey, we want you to, I don't know, like hit the ball with more authority or or um, be able to pitch, uh, you know, with more endurance or something. We, we What we're trying to do, and we try to be really specific in these conversations, is, hey, we want you to become – a guy who can get to second base with doubles, triples, and home runs. We want you to be an extra base threat. Or we want you to be able to turn the lineup over twice. So we're going to chase that in our development. And I think you, you're so right, Dan, because these guys work really hard. They're really smart. Like the people who are down on the kids of today are wrong. Like they are an absolute blast to work with, and they have so many positive qualities. I think if you give them something to chase that's tangible – because they want, they all want to be a part of, of the team's success. So if you say, Hey, this can be your little piece of it, man. And, and, you know, let's, I'll meet you out here early and let's go get it. Then I think the response is pretty much uniformly good. So that's how we balance the winning on the team level and individual development is, is trying to develop them towards a role because there's no reason that those things should be in opposition, right? The player gets better he can fulfill his role better and maybe earn a better role for himself or a bigger role, I shouldn't say better. Um, And then from an individual standpoint, you're right. There's so much information out there. I was actually having this conversation today uh, with a buddy of mine, um, uh, a guy named, I'll shout him out, a guy named Adam Kalerik, who swung by practice through a bullpen. He's a a lefty reliever for the Angels, local guy, uh, and an awesome resource. He drops by every once in a while and um, has been super generous with his time for our pitching staff. But one of the things we were talking about was there's so many, uh, again, so much information and the guys are, are hearing things from so many different people that 
I think if you resist that in 2024 and you just say, hey, look, you got to listen to me and, and shut out everything else, like that's not realistic. And it's also not right because the guys who are super curious, trying to learn more about their craft, looking up different things online or finding different people to learn from, those are the guys you want to coach. They're good players. You know, they're the guys who are dying to be really good for you and be really good for their teammates. So I think the approach to take in that like information rich environment is to be kind of part of the conversation and a guide in that conversation with these guys. So if a guy says, Hey, you know, I learned this this winter. I was like, Oh yeah, tell me about that. Like, you know, trying to have more of an an adult to adult conversation rather than like talking to them like they're a, you know, a middle school or a high school kid Mm -hmm. Um, and trying to give them credit for their their baseball IQ. And um, I think, if you want them to develop in a certain way, like you ought to be able to make a good argument for it. You ought to be able to convince them. And if you can't, then it's probably on you as a coach. Yeah. I, I have to keep going on mute here because my dog's part retriever and he's a huge UMBC baseball fan. Love so guy. he is yeah. jacked yeah. up yeah. today. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. If you got a question, just, um, Put him up to the mic. And get him going. I will. He's. He said he's been. He's been waiting to meet you all all week. When I told him that you were coming on, he said he's a he's a huge fan of the retrievers. But um, obviously, the communication aspect is so important. And really, you mentioned a couple of times. I mean, I think the big thing about mid majors is, you know, we talk about resources and we talk about access to recruiting, but really the really good programs develop talent really well. And that can come in a multitude of different ways. There's different environments to do it in certain ways. But I think the individualized aspect of that, and I really think as we are in the age of information, the programs that can communicate what each individual needs, where this player is going to X facility. I mean, I know Maryland has a ton of great opportunities for hitters and pitchers for guys to develop. And I know you guys do a good job locally recruiting being in conversation and lockstep with those guys and being able to make sure that when they get their program, it's not, you don't lose trust because you try to change something that they believe work. I mean, ironically, I'm reading um, Aaron judge's book about 62 home runs written by Brian Hawk. And that was one of the first things they said is they were like, Aaron loves doing what he's doing. Why would we change it? And obviously it translated to a lot of success because there was a lot of pushback when he started to change his swing. So kind of just talk about, I know there's kind of two parts in the question, the importance of, you kind of hit on it a little bit, but communication, but also just like in-depth communication, being able to provide resources and and being able to have those honest conversations and then how that translates then to being the program that you want to be and being able to be a mid-major program that wins at a consistent level because it is player development driven. Well, it's definitely player development driven. I think you can recruit a, a good team, but you have to develop a, a, a winner and a champion. Like there, there's no other way to do it uh, at our level. And, and, and most levels, I know at the very high end, maybe you could make a different argument, but I think player development is such a, that's why guys go to college, right? If they were ready to, you know, compete uh, against the grown men for, uh, for money, then, then they have that opportunity, which I think is good. Uh, college is about where you polish your game and and we certainly want to be a part of that I would say Trevor number one being in conversation with the people who are working with our players in the off season is vital like you have to keep those lines of communication open you got to be respectful of each other there again that's a, a thing where there's no reason for that to be a conflict in my opinion everybody just wants the players to contribute to team success and 
honestly, the only time it becomes a real issue is if, if people are, I think hunting credit that really should go to the player. Like I think if a guy plays well for us, then it's his credit. You know, it, it, it's his work. It's it's his talent. He built it, and we we need to be grateful to be a part of it, uh, rather than try and feel like we're steering that ship. Um, and, and I just think if if you're in a mindset that's different than that, it's going to become negative. And certainly with the staff we have here, that was one of the prerequisites: is guys who have gotten over any kind of need to. Uh, pull credit away from players because I think I think they're the ones who uh, deserve the acclaim. And then, uh, yeah, I, j- I just think that the the like the 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 tailoring of the development is what makes all of these kind of newer techniques viable and worthwhile. So what I'm what I mean by that is we just got a track man here um, this season, which is great. It's been an awesome tool for us. It's it's been I think it's not an exaggeration to say it's been transformative for us, but the reason we've gotten a lot out of it is because we've invested time in, in uh, talking to smart people about how they use it on the pro side or at other programs and learning ourselves over the past few years, but also being able to tailor it individually to each guy. Like, like if you're not tailoring the development, if you're not really engaged and talking to a player about, okay, well, what'd you feel on that pitch? Here's what in the, re- the results are. You know, here's what our what we're kind of going for right now. Um, have you ever been have you ever thrown pitches that did this? All sorts of things uh, where you can, if you're really engaged with the player, I think you can get a lot out of these new tools. If you're if you're just kind of running everybody through bullpens and then never showing them the data or never talking about them with it, I, I don't think the tools have the same impact. So, I think now more than ever, all all the stuff you mentioned is really important. And then going and, and to your point, then leveraging it, right? Like it's great to have the resources, but then understanding how to leverage them to your benefit. And, you know, at a mid-major, you might not have all of the resources that some of the power five schools do where leveraging those resources is great because, you know, we were with Wake Forest yesterday, they've a 22-man analytic team, right? Like that's mm-hmm. just not possible everywhere you go. So then do you find that, you kind of have to understand what you and your staff have the resources to do and the buckets you can place them in. And, and kind of where my head is going with this is I always thought about, you know, you do only have X amount of hours and on the pitching side specifically, which I know you obviously have the background in, like for me, it was like, well, I think that developing pitchers is a lot easier with the time I have than developing velocity. Right. And I have the resources I know to be able, we can develop, you know, we can do pitch design, And we can do, you know, we can develop, you know, teaching guys how to command their stuff in the zone a lot easier than putting guys on just a straight up velocity program. How important does that play then of like kind of having the understanding of what you and your staff do best and what you have the resources to be able to leverage the the development stuff? It's a good question. I think I would attack it a different way. And we have attacked it a little bit of a different way here at UMBC and to me, the standard is the championship standard. We want to win the Americas championship. We want to play in regionals. We want our guys to know what that feels like. We want our guys to be able to look back on their career having achieved that. And then you work backwards from that. So if, and we identified this a little while ago, so, you know, we need um, nastier pitches on our pitching staff, whether it's velocity, you know, uh, more break on the breaking balls, better separation on the changeup, whatever it, it is, we need to, augment our ability to create that and develop that in our players and working backwards from that, then you, then you, 
you just kind of solve for X, right? Say, okay, if we, if we need to do that, then what's that going to take? Well, we're going to need real time like ball flight data. Okay. Well, what's the the best way to get that? Well, we need a track man. Okay. How do we get a track man? Well, we need some money. So, so, you know, we went out and we raised some money for it and the alumni helped us out and, um, we were able to, uh, you know, generate some revenue a few different ways. And, and now we have a track man and, and, you know, the next step was to get a camera where we could see the ball come off the guy's hands a little bit better. And, um, you know, we were able to find a solution for that. And it, it's just solving for what you need, in my opinion. I think if you think about it in terms of, well, we're only capable of what's in this box. What can we do in this box? I, th- I think that's, um, and I, and I don't mean to attack the question here, Dan, but it's a little bit of a failure of imagination, right? I think that become then you're in a, a cycle where you're just, being what maybe people on the outside think, you know, UMBC baseball is capable of or a mid-major is capable of. And I don't think that. I think that we're capable of far more than I'm sure anybody outside of our program thinks we are. And that's okay, right? But it's only going to come from being able to imagine a future where we can develop guys that can do the things that will deliver us to those goals. I love that. And I, I love the, the, the creativity aspect of it, like you said, and, and just kind of having the understanding of, of, hey, maybe this is what the box could be, but let's get, how do we step outside of that box? Because at the end of the day, in my opinion, at least that's how some of the best player development happens, right? Is like getting creative, right? You know, just to something, you know, it's things like plyo balls. People back in the day thought that was like ridiculous probably, but once you step outside of the box, you create a, a system and a, and a way to go about attacking things and you realize that there can be benefits of that. How does that process work for you guys and how much communication is there between, you know, obviously you and, and your assistants in, in building those plans and putting those together and, and kind of if you could with, you know, not having to go through everything, but, you know, in the fall, are you sitting down and saying, Hey, this is the the time period that we need to, you know, evaluate what they need to get better at. And then we're going to implement it. And then as we roll into the spring, you know, kind of how does that work for your program and the conversations you have with assistants on building those development plans for each guy? Yeah. So I'm sure other programs do this too, but we chart every week and every day out in advance. And what we try and do is after a couple weeks of individuals where we're mostly we're seeing where the returners are at and kind of kind of getting up to speed on them after summer ball and also teaching our new players the basics of how we practice. Mostly that's that's the the first couple of weeks, also some physical testing, stuff like that. Um, then we have a, a about a five week period that we use for a lot of competition and evaluation. There's uh, some teaching, but there's not a lot of like technical changes being made during that period, because, again, I think you have to really learn each guy before you have a platform and before you've really earned the right to start uh, tinkering with them. I think if you start with changes and, you know, day three of practice, I don't think you've, I don't think you've observed enough to, you know, mess with somebody's like a young player's career like that. You're, you're a little bit shooting from the hip and that's not the way that we want to coach. So at the end of those five weeks, what we do is we have a bunch of meetings we go through each player individually and we talk about the stuff we've already talked about a little bit here, which is what's he capable of now? What can, how can he deliver value for our team? Where does he need to get better to, to give us the most value and to, and to become the best player he can be? And then how do we get there? Again, we're like solving for X. It's not about, oh, he's going to do this specific set of drills or 
you know, there's this plan that we like and we're going to, you know, we're going to bucket him into this plan. It's really a lot more on an individual basis for uh, just like trying to deliver what the guy can use. I talk about like trying to be the, the, the vitamin that can um, kind of uh, set his system right. You know, like if you're, if you're light on iron, you're going to take an iron pill in the morning, something like that. Like what's the thing that's going to complete this player and make him really valuable. And then the rest of the fall in our individual period, which is where like it's probably the most technical period of our year. That's when we go get it every day where, you know, the, our hitting coach can say, Hey, look, we saw 50, 60 at bats from you this fall. This is where you were, were strong. This is where I thought you were, you know, a little weaker and have some room for improvement. And I'm going to design a plan where we're going to get better at this. And I, I think not going into that with any real preconceived notions is really helpful and trying to bounce ideas off of each other and not necessarily be creative for the sake of being creative or like out of the box, but just really making it all about what the player needs and not like what's easy for us or what we already know how to do. I want to circle back on something you said um, on the answer before that one. Well, um, just kind of as you were talking and, and one of the things I find fascinating about programs in general and really the difference between the successful ones and the unsuccessful ones is open-mindedness and adaptability to change, right? You mentioned you felt like your program needed to have nastier stuff on the mound. So many times, I mean, we all hear it. I think it happens. I'm an offensive guy. I think it happens a lot more on the offensive side of things where people are reluctant to change because, you know, as we've seen college baseball swing to the need for power. And even now it's starting, the pendulum starting to swing back where offenses kind of want to be multiple and score in multiple different ways. And we're not necessarily chasing power at every step. It's super important to be not necessarily at the forefront all the time. Obviously, it's it's very hard to be the first program to make that adjustment, but keep up with the Joneses, right? And be open to the fact that maybe what you were doing five, six years ago wasn't working or even as much as five, six months ago might not be working. But to get where we want to get, we have to be open-minded and continue to grow at each and every way. And that just because of what we are today does not mean what we have to be in, in three, five, 12, you know, multiple months ahead. Talk about how important open-mindedness is to being able to be the program that you want UMBC baseball to be. Yeah. I just think in our sport and probably any sport, obviously I don't know them all as well as I know baseball, there's no magic system. Like there's no way of practicing. There's no special practice plan that I'm going to write. That's just going to, you know, blow the rest of the league out of the water. That's not how it works your players are the system. It's about getting the most out of the players, right? This is not as much of a tactical sport as some others. So I'm thinking about maybe football or basketball. You can run a particular offense, a particular defense. Baseball doesn't really work like that. It's just about the quality of your players the and what they get out of the development every day and how much you can improve them, uh, basically, and then compile them into the best team possible. So I think – if you try and impose a system on that, or again, go in with any kind of preconceived notion, you're just setting yourself up for a lot of frustration and you're, there's no way you're going to get the most out of your talent. And we, I think the goal for all of us as coaches is to make the team more than the sum of its parts to, again, to recruit a good team, but to coach a great team. And 
Yeah, I, I, I think maybe when I was younger, I thought a little bit more about, well, what's, you know, what kind of like, 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 like putting things almost on like an automated cycle. And I've gotten away from that for sure. And it, it's been a lot more about uh, the just, you know, a, a coach and maybe a, a guy in a, or a small group of guys at the field for early work and trying to make the impact that way. You mentioned how at the end of the day, you, you you know, baseball is so much about putting together the best team you can. And obviously development goes into that, but recruiting obviously at the college level and, and, and where you're at is, is, you know, vital. And I'm just curious for, for kind of where you sit at UMBC, how much has, you know, the portal changed things and, and less the portal and more so the one-time waiver um, transfer waiver exemption that, that now exists. How much has that kind of affected how you guys go about things and, and where do you guys kind of fall? Because I know there's, you know, we've talked to some, some mid-major coaches who like they, the portal is crucial to them because they need to be able to supplement. Um, and, and where do you guys kind of fall in line as far as that goes? We're probably less portal driven than most. or In fact, I'm sure we're less portal driven than most. We got one guy out of the portal this year that's been about our average uh, for any given year. And the reason is we've already talked about the things that are really important to me and the, the way the guys like represent uh, themselves and the program and the university. I think take, finding guys who you can trust with those things takes a, a fair amount of time. And it's not that I'm against transfers. I've recruited a lot of really good ones over the years. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll take a good player and a great character from anywhere. You know, we're always in, in the business of finding those guys. It's just the portal is such a, a short time window that I think if you're starting from zero, like the guy's just a name on a computer screen, you don't know anything about him. Going from there to I trust this guy with the opportunity at UMBC, I don't know if you can cover that ground in that amount of time. I just don't think it's it's really feasible. So the portal guys that we've taken over the years are usually guys that they're local. We knew them in high school. You know, um, we know a, a coach very well who has coached them. We can kind of shorten uh, the curve a little bit there in getting to know those guys. Uh, and then the, I would say the biggest thing that the portal's done for mid majors is I think your team chemistry is more important than ever. Because a lot of being successful, I think, in these next few years, as long as the rules stay the same, which I, I would be fine with. I think people should go to school where they want to go to school. I don't I have zero issue. I get to coach where I want to coach. I want to coach here and I'm doing it. So if, you know, if a guy wants to go to school here or there or, or anywhere else, I think they should have that freedom. I think having a group that's really connected and that feels like they're a part of something special and they're amongst a special group of guys in the locker room that's what's going to give you continuity on your team, right? Because last year we didn't lose anybody to the portal, which I'm, pr I'm proud of as a program. We return a lot of good players from a, a really good team, a lot of guys who have very good statistics, who I'm sure if they were a free agent, so to speak, would have a market. There's no question, no denying it. But they all came back, and I'm not so uh, you know, conceited to think that they're coming back because they love the head coach so much. It's because they love each other. That's the thing. You know, there are other good coaches places. I'd like to think I'm, I'm one of them, but I think if you're a player, you understand that other programs have coaches who work hard, know what they're doing and treat people well and all those things. The thing that can't travel with you in the portal is your teammates, right? You can't pick up the locker room and bring it to your next uh, situation. So we want to build an environment where guys can make those really deep connections because 
they value the same things and it's just a positive environment day to day. And there's a lot of continuity and we trust that to give us the stability we need to keep developing this team. So that's the, that's my biggest take on the portal. It's less about who we acquire because there'll be a little bit of that, but it's never going to be kind of a staple for us because of how we value things and and how particular we are. But uh, the, just the, the the chemistry piece that's the the biggest thing that i think it is kind of put into sharp relief how important that is so what goes into building that chemistry is there a vetting system for guys that you do bring in if, in the transfer portal where it's not necessarily all about talent per se like guy could be really talented but they don't, if they don't fit what you pro- want your program values to be um is it just through communication of ensuring guys realize like hey you know the opportunity to play here but this is what the expectation is and then i mean even on the other end of that communicating with the guys that you have in-house and making sure they understand that like hey this is a special environment what, what kind of goes into creating that chemistry when there can be turnover at the you know drop of a dime well, all the above, you brought up like three critical pieces of it. I would say, you know, I'm in charge of the communication piece, the rest of the coaches and myself, and we want to have a good aligned message on that in, in the ways that we've already spoke about. And then I think you got to be really willing to say no in recruiting. You got to you got to be willing to say, look, this guy's just not for us. And then I'm not talking about guys who are like bad people or um, who have gotten in trouble or, or, or things like that. That's that's not really what I'm talking about. A lot of those are kind of easy no's. The harder no's are guys who are really good players. Seem like, you know, they're 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 nice people, you know, there's no, you know, major red flag, but they just don't fit with the personality that we have here and the personality that we know we can really coach and we know is going to fit in well here. And I would say at UMBC it's somebody who uh, really values uh, the, the, the um, clearest way I could say is somebody who really values people over things. Somebody, somebody really prioritizes relationships. Uh, the, the people who, you know, the, maybe the facilities are a big deal to them or the uniforms or stuff like that, or they're, they're really chasing a, a kind of the affirmation that comes with playing division one baseball rather than the relationships that come with playing division one baseball. Those are the guys who are always going to be frustrated here because we're always going to, there's always going to be a place where they can get more affirmation. That's okay. Cause like we, we don't really pride ourselves in that. We pride ourselves in, you know, maybe not having the most things, but having the best people. And if guys can lock into that, they'll love it here. And if guys don't respond to that message for whatever reason, and they, again, they can still be great players and, and really good people. It's just going to be a tough fit here and it's, it's never going to go smoothly and, and, and we want it to go smoothly. Let me let me ask you this, and I, I know we're getting close to to an hour here, so we want to be respectful of of your time this time of year. Is that why you got into coaching? Because you've spoken a lot of times about values and people. I, I find it very curious to to hear. I mean, obviously, we want to win national championships. We all do in conference championships as many as we possibly can. But are the relationships and the people aspect of why you got into coaching? Oh, certainly. Yeah, I mean, that's to me. That's that's how you get paid in coaching, right? You, you, you look back on a coaching career and whatever's in your bank account, you're going to be much richer in relationships and if, with kind of the memories you've, you've built with guys. Um, I've just always been a person who loved being a member of a team, honestly. And 
working towards the same goal. And I've always felt like the, the, the depth of connection with people in that situation is just something special. So I just never left, honestly, man. Uh, you know, I got into college baseball when I was 18 years old. I'll be 40 next month. So uh, I've been doing it uh, that whole time. And I think, I think with, look, I'm as, I'm as much of a competitor as anybody. I, I don't think I take a backseat to anybody in terms of trying to prepare our team to win or, or anything like that. I, I just think I'm a big believer that winning is a, a byproduct. Like on, on game days, I, I think I'm pretty, you know, low heartbeat, pretty relaxed. And the reason is I, I feel like the, the, the time to really rev your motor up is before, is to get, is to get ready for that moment. It's not, if, if, if you're lackadaisical in the lead up to the game and then you, you, you know, you're, um, you're kind of giving yourself a heart attack uh, in the dugout when something doesn't go your way on game day, then I think you have it backwards. So, um, I've always just felt like the getting that relationship and preparation piece right, you know, we're going to win that way too. Like I don't see them as oppositional, uh, but definitely put a really big priority on the relationship piece and, and, and continue to love it, like continue to be well-paid in that regard. Well, coach, I think that's a, that's a perfect way to, to wrap this up. I think that's something that as you were talking and as we were talking through this last hour, that was something I wanted to give you an opportunity to highlight because not every coach embodies that um, and being able to have people that listen to this and, and listen to it are going to see that you do embody that. And that is something that's important to you. So I wanted to give you an opportunity because I think that's something that high schoolers and transfer portal players or whoever could be interested in playing at any program should look into it more detail is that you want to make sure you're playing for somebody that cares about you, the individual first and the relationship and the people first. And then obviously the results on the field are a byproduct of treating people right. But Dan, any last questions for coach before we let him get out of here? No, thank you so much for taking the time sitting down with us. This was really enjoyable and a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate it guys. I, I, I like the chance to, you know, we're about to get into the nitty gritty here, obviously, with the season starting, but this was a nice chance to zoom out and talk about some of the bigger picture stuff. Uh, so I appreciate the questions and the time, guys. Perfect. And, and coach, I know all our listeners are going to be supporting you and following you this spring. And, and you've got a couple, multiple, Dan and I, as well as the dog Brady here are huge Retrievers fans. And, and we're going to be following you this season and, and wish you nothing but the best in the 2024 season. And, and obviously a conference championship at the back end of that would be the, the icing on the cake. But thank you to our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple Pods, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. Check out our YouTube channel. We've been posting a lot of great content. All of our interviews go up there in video form as well as our facility tours that we've been doing. We post episodes weekly uh, at hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.